How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. How you doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning into this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios, proudly sponsored by VFX Unleashed, powered by Amarillo College and SimCore Productions. My name is Daniel the D3 Cohen. I'm your host, and I'm speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions' worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I'm a 20-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like many of you guys, I make music out of my own home studio. You know, some of today's biggest hitmakers work from home studios, so maybe we can help one of you accomplish your big dreams. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to talk about our sponsor, VFX Unleashed, powered by Amarillo College and SEMCORE Productions. VFX Unleashed is a complete accredited online VFX school where you can learn how to have a career in the visual effects industry in classes taught by industry professionals. There are programs in all major aspects of VFX production and software, including Photoshop, After Effects, Maya, Nuke, Cinema 4D, and many more. Online, fully remote classes start every eight weeks, and a full VFX studio within Amarillo College's Innovation Outpost will open next year, which will have a state-of-the-art soundstage and motion capture studio. You can check out all that VFX Unleashed has to offer and enroll today at vfxunleashed.com. Thank you to VFX Unleashed and SEMCOR for being our very first sponsor. We are proud to have you. Now, let's get into the show. Today we are going to finish out our conversation with Dante Rinaldi. This is going to be a bit of a continuation on him kind of interviewing me. So without further ado, let's get into our final part with Mr. Dante Rinaldi. Yeah, well, it's funny that you that you say <laughs> a complicated chord name because the <laughs> uh, my, my father has a friend who's also a producer and audio engineer and musician. And he was on my podcast. He's his name is John Manson. Mm-hmm. And very, very early on, when I was very, very, very young, um, and I was just starting to learn uh, music. Yeah. And I, I, I had learned more theory and more chords than I ever knew. I mm-hmm. knew, like, mm-hmm. I didn't comprehend that I knew all of these things, right? Uh, and he he was kind of showing me some things that he was playing and I looked at a chord that he played and I went, Hey, that's cool. That's a insert ex- ex- inexplicably long chord name here. <laughs> right. And he went, Hey, that's cool. You know what I call this? And I, you know, me being like three years old and excited that I'm learning something from, from this very, very talented man. Yeah. Uh, I go, what, what do you call it? And he, he looked at me square in the eye and said, I call that, I put my fingers here and it sounds like this. <laughs> yeah. The epitome of formlessness. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you're so comfortable with what you're doing that you don't have to think about any of the theoretical. You yeah. don't have to think about what the name of that chord is. Like you forgot 
You've evolved. De- you you forgot thirty years ago what that chord is called. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. You, you learned it. It's in your book of tricks. Yep. It's there for you to use, and you use it, and yep. you don't have to worry about what the hell it is. Exactly. And it doesn't get in the way. Precisely. It's 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 pure evolution of of your artistic um production really you're just it's it's great it's it's like nirvana for an artist you know and then and then what happens is the software comes along and they change all the hotkeys on you and you're like son of a bitch oh you dude know? i i it's funny you mentioned so i have a uh one of those um uh vinyl overlays keyboard yeah. overlays that go over sure the apple pro keyboard right yeah and i and i have a uh apple pro keyboard that's been that was taken by a uh a custom keyboard maker thing and they screen printed the keys with all the hot keys nice. the overlay is final cut seven the keyboard is final cut 10 about a third of the hot keys match <laughs> Two thirds of them are different. Between Do they three not revi- realize muscle three memory. Revision. It's three insane. revisions, and yeah. the muscle memory is like different. It's gone, yeah. And then oh. all of a sudden, we're back to looking like an idiot in software what we are professional at. And it's like again, do they? Is anybody using the software that's coding it? Because the, it, it drives you to a to a grinding halt. You know. And, right. and it's so common in, in so much software. Photoshop does it constantly. They're always changing the rules on you. You know, and that, also that, you can't get anything done. That's why I stopped updating Photoshop at CS5. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. It's like, listen to your user base. You know, no one's going to make a guitar, you know, with the, with the notes rearranged uh, on the string. You know, it, it's like, it's a, it's like this for a reason. If my G doesn't sound like a G, I'm not broken. You're broken, you know, because right. you decided that you know the we're gonna add five new frets to my guitar, you know, down at the at the whatever. My God, so yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. They need just to listen to artists. That's really everything. Just listen to artists. We know what we're doing. Well, and that and and going back to Apple. Do you remember? Wait, uh, let me let me ask you. Did you have the 2013 Mac Pro? No, no. I've been a PC guy all this time. You're smart. <laughs> I may have had a. I may have had it in in uh, Ringling. I taught at Ringling for a while. Um, you know, it was assigned to me, but I'm mostly a PC guy, which comes with its own pitfalls naturally. But uh, you, you know, know, I I started my studio on PC. Yeah. Uh, I I I gotta say, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Until until my PC started uh, dying every five minutes. It would yeah. boot up. You'd get in your project. Crash. Yeah. Shut down. Reboot it. It'd be fine. Crash. Shut down. Like completely shut down. Shut yeah. off. Like power <laughs> power gone. Dead. Yeah. Hello. You're pushing the button. You have to like count one Mississippi. To Mississippi, to <laughs> try and push the button again. Woo! That's not how you work. Yeah. So, so I, I, I've had problems with PCs, and I'm I I ended up switching. You know, par- parents use Macintosh computers. I learned on a Macintosh computer. I was very happy going to a Macintosh computer, and in in my 
in my uh, in my recording studio. But I got to say, uh, you are probably smart for uh, not using the trash can. Yeah. Oh, I remember the trash can. Yeah. It looks, you know, funny thing about the trash can, and there's probably a lot of people listening that are like just Mac addicts and they love it and they don't, how, how dare you say something against my, my, my thing, my club. It, you know, they want to make beautiful products. And the, the trash can, which I remember fondly, was beautiful until you plug something into it. They never showed the thing plugged in in any of the advertisements because it exactly. was a beautiful piece of artwork when it was completely unplugged from everything. Now, all of a sudden, I got about a billion wires sticking out of this thing that looks like a, like a trash can octopus that's ugly as hell because of these huge video cables. And it's like, again, you know, what's their focus? Is it to make something look beautiful or to make it actually, you know, and PC, PC has, I mean, by no means saying, Hey, PC, everybody over Mac, because they'll both drive you insane. But PC never really got too hung up on how beautiful their products looked. And so they just said, it's ugly and let's just keep it ugly, whatever. Well, Um, it's not even that. It's that, Hey, we'll let you build your own machine. Yeah, you you can make it as pretty or as ugly as That's you right. like. That's Do you right. want to build a fucking Xeon machine into yeah. a desk? It could Knock have flashing lights, flashing lights and bells and whistles, and we don't care. Right? Do you yeah. want your face? Uh, do you want your face laser etched into the front of your computer? <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's true. It's a lot of the that if the tools are getting in your way, it's a bad tool, you know. But. Uh, Maybe they'll start listening to us because there's an update, you know, they update your phone and now it doesn't work the way you want it to because you don't know the secret handshake of how to lower the volume anymore. And you got to go Google it, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, and it's the computers, it's the software, it's the operating system, it's all that stuff. It's, But I guess they got to do something. They got to do something to keep them busy over, you know, day after day. So. <laughs> right. Oh, no, we have a security bug. You probably created it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You, you probably created it so you could patch another bug. Yeah. Oh, no. The battery on your phone is dying. No, yeah. you just want something to do. That's that's the scariest thing with Mac products. It's never going to work as well as it works the minute you bring it home. Every update is going to make it worse. You know, and it's like, you know, just don't update anything. It works great right now. Don't touch it. <laughs> you know, same thing Not with always. the Mac. Don't give me any updates. I don't Not want always. Photoshop CS28. Well... Yeah, I, I was very pissed off when the Creative Cloud happened. Yeah. It was like, yeah. you know, because it, it see, I, I appreciate companies like Propellerhead and, well, actually, I'm a little bit annoyed with Propellerhead right now. But I, I, <laughs> I appreciate companies like Avid who made Media Composer and uh, Pro Tools and all those things a subscription plan. But you could still, if you preferred it, buy the permanent license. Sure. You could buy a perpetual. Yeah. And and you'd be fine. Um That's unpopular now. Now it's it's the software you never own. You get the right. privilege of never owning anything anymore. You get to monetarily borrow something. That's right. And we right. will keep changing it on you, whether you like it or not. Right. And it, it 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 insults my intelligence. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I mean, it, it, watch. It's going to get to the point where we're going to have to rent the hardware now. Yeah, and we'll never yeah. and we'll never be able to own the hardware anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. But to keep producing, I guess you got to keep playing the game, right? Well, 
Yeah, something like that. But uh, <laughs> who the hell knows, man? <sighs> Watch five years. Five years, we'll all be screwed. That's right. That's right. But we're all in it together. Here, here. <laughs> this was fun. I hope you can find something of use out of this. Even twenty minutes of our rambling, because <laughs> this was fun. You know, I often find a lot. It it was, uh, you know, I I think I it it's real funny. I've I the the people in visual arts have have really taken advantage of the fact that we don't edit linearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you usually, I I try and start out my first question with you know. Which, which I which I did attempt of, you know, how the hell did you get started in this crazy industry? <laughs> and why would the why in the hell would you be here? This yeah. industry is ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I had started to go in that direction. Then nope, we're veering off over here. Sure, but, this is why, but this is why I don't have prepared questions. No, I put, it's I, good. It's I, it's fluid. I love the fluidity. I, I have I have bullet points. Um, yeah. I have bullet points and I keep. I keep my research up on people. Um, you know, I, I, I see what, what, you know, usually my father will compile a list of research and send me a Google doc or something. Yeah. Or a word document with links and, you know, quotes from, from articles and things like that. And then links to the articles and the conversational aspect is fun though. I like, I like that where it's just like, we just met at a bar and we're just kind of chilling over a beer and talking about shop you know right uh, and 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 you know we're all in the same shop really you know it's there's really not a you know we're all artists our struggles are surprisingly very similar software especially struggles you know <laughs> well i mean um, look we have as soon as the visual world went from strictly film to tape mm-hmm we started becoming similar. Yeah. As soon as everybody went to uh, floppy disks and digital cassettes, mm-hmm. we got even more similar. By the oh. time all of us understood, you know, written CD, DVD, optical media, we got even more similar. You know, mm-hmm. it, like really the only difference is you look at things I listen. Yeah. Like, but but we're both sitting in front of a computer screen. Yep, it's it, true. And and you know some something that I have talked about with other uh, people who do uh, who who are more in the visual side of the artistry than I mm-hmm. is that you know I I can equate an RGB color palette. And, and doing color correction on 4K video footage, mm-hmm. which I do fairly regularly, mm-hmm. to a three-band equalizer. It's it's the same concept. Yeah. It's a little more difficult because you have because, you know, you can kind of bullshit your way through an equalizer. Um <laughs> like, you know, too much red is not going to sit the same with you as a little too much at two hundred. It's true. Of, We're like you, both mixers, aren't we? Realistically, paint, yes. You're mixing frequencies, right? And and quite frankly, if you're if you re- really want to get into the nitty gritty, 
you're also mixing frequencies. That's true like, too. Spectrum frequencies. Just very, very, very more. Your your frequencies are way higher than yes, mine. that's true. But they're all frequencies. Yeah, you know, it's just, all waveforms, right? It's, it's actually just, true. It's it. They're they're your waveforms are just so fast that <laughs> they're perceivable by sight versus sound. Yes, it's um, true. And, and and that's something that I think people kind of forget is that we're all really doing the same thing. Yes. Yeah. And we're, and it, we're selling and entertaining, really. Yeah. By, with that. It's yeah. Absolutely the, true. And, and you know, it, it's kind of funny because people look at me when I go, you know, I love baseball, but the baseball players are all in enter- in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. You know? And they're 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 all like an orchestra, and the manager is like their fucking conductor. Yeah, you know, um, and 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 as soon as, but you know, when you look at it, they all have to practice. They all have games like scheduled performances. Yep, you know, they go on tour. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Right, and if somebody is flat, it, it's gonna suck for everybody. Right, yeah. and. And, you know, the look, the sheer fact alone that stadiums are used for music venues as well as as uh, as, as sports theaters. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it, it's it, right there. It, it just, <laughs> you know, like the the parallels are right in front of everyone. Yep. Um, I'm sure there's a healthy dose of denial because sportsmanship requires a lot more physicality than most musicianship does. But uh, well, according to your drummer, though he's he put himself through the ringer, so I would he'd probably say I, I was I, that was very physically demanding. <laughs> it, it being a drummer and having been a drummer for now close to 17 years, I can I I can say that with great certainty. But you know. Uh, even so i'm i'm still a fat guy in my garage and he's (laughs) he's still he's still skinny as a rail oh is he okay oh yeah yeah he (laughs) he uh he'll turn to the side he disappears oh wow okay yeah Yeah, he's one of those kind of guys it's real funny (laughs) it's real funny well and you know and and there is a level of physicality to wind instruments too because you know sure you're you're, you know oh yeah I, I would imagine a lot of cardiovascular health would help them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Lung um, capacity, like a swimmer. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Swimming and running and biking and, and uh, all those things would probably help them out a lot. Yeah. The, the high-intensity training, maybe maybe not the low-intensity training, but the, you know, the really high-fast stuff. Yeah. That, that gets your heart pumping. We really are all in the same club. Realistically, yeah. And, yeah. and and the 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 differences now are so minute that it really makes no sense uh why there are walls. It's more like it it it's more like windows that you can open. They're not walls. Mm-hmm. You know, it's true. Cause yeah. we're all we're all here. Mm-hmm. Or, or or like we're 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 different colors on on the same spec. We're we're all shades of blue. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Right. We're we're all we're all different shades of the same color, you know. It's true. So it it's you know what why why the why the differentiation is there, I, I don't really understand. And that's why I love talking to people outside of the audio industry. Uh, because we just spent three hours making parallels between visual art artistry and uh and auditory artistry. Yeah. And why and why the two go hand in hand and why realistically it's all one industry. It really is. It really is. You know, it's further than, you know, I used to say to to visual artists who said, well, I want to go into animation or visual effects or video games or whatever the hell is it. I would say, look, you can go into any of that you want because we all have the same job and it's basically just making the pixels look correct. But you can push that even further by bringing in into the audio because the the target audience is the same, you know. It's it's just making the the uh, audience enjoy the performance, enjoy the experience, you know. Right, and and you know, for for us in the audio industry, it 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 or the audio side of the industry, I should say, it's all the same. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if you ask me to produce uh, the Jonas Brothers' next record or. If you tell me to do a Foley recording or if you tell me I got to go mix the orchestra uh, in relation to the lav mics underneath the uh, the actors shirts and mix that with the boom audio from, you know, from from overhead out of frame. Yep. You know, it's all just a mixing gig for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all just sound. Exactly and it's all the it. same equal and it's all the same equalizers and all the same compressors, all the same noise gates, you know. I'm and the be right doing answer, the same right. And the right answer is, well, it depends on how good your taste is. <laughs> you know. <laughs> true. Very true. But realistically, it should all be the same. Yeah. Because the tools are all the same. Thus, yeah. you know, like if you know, I I understand if if people will see a difference between you know uh, a voiceover recording and a music recording, or changing out between I don't know uh, from a a male voice to a female voice and how to mix spoken word with voice over you know, a 50-piece orchestra. But mm-hmm. it it is really all the same. Yeah. It does not matter that much. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. If I'm being quite honest, this conversation really didn't bring up anything that was a massive surprise to me. In fact, most of the things that Dante and I spoke about were beliefs I have held for quite a long time. However, even though nothing we spoke about really gave me any new realizations, a lot of this was a welcome confirmation that no matter what side of any industry you are creatively, be it a photographer, a videographer, a vis effects artist, a video editor, or like me and I'm sure many of you, a music producer, we all basically do the same job. At the end of the day, 
we are all sitting around the same kinds of computers, working similarly designed software, doing pretty similar things. Really, the only difference is what sense are we activating? At the end of the day, though, like we said, it's all just frequencies. Dante, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much of your time to help me realize this belief that I've held for so long and likewise share it with everyone listening. I think this conversation has been very helpful to a lot of people learning about both audio and visual artistry as well as myself for mainly confirming the core beliefs I already held. For all of you interested in looking up any of Dante's work, check out his website, link below, infernovfx.com, where you can see his video reel and all the wonderful, wonderful films he has been a part of working on. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone in between, children of all ages, this is going to be a very special one. Welcome to a very, very cool, to me anyway, but I think you will find this cool too, edition of Music from Blue Girl and Blue Girl Gear Talk. Today I am doing a very long-form gear talk, combining it with Music from Blue Girl, because I want to talk to every one of you about a really cool topic that is close to my heart that I dearly love. Today, I want to talk to you all about electromechanical keyboards from the 1950s to the 1980s. Now, for anyone who has listened to the podcast for any length of time, everyone will know that I'm a big fan of my instruments, my keyboard instruments. I have a Rhodes piano and a Hammond. I even have a Rhodes piano bass. Uh, I had on loan for quite a long time a Roland Alpha Juno 2, which recently went back to its rightful owner, though I am looking for a Juno 106. I have currently an Arturio Microbrute and an Ord Electro in the studio as well. And just recently, uh, a piece of gear that I sort of teased last week, I recently acquired a mid-late 1950s, probably 1956 or 1957, Wurlitzer 112A, all-tube electric piano. Now, for anyone listening to the name Wurlitzer who don't necessarily know the history, Wurlitzer predates Rhodes in the mass market. Wurlitzer initially was an acoustic piano and organ company, and they were popular in a lot of different places. Wurlitzer pianos were maybe less popular than their pipe organs, and they found a way into touring by making electric pianos. They were one of the first people to do it. Harold Rhodes did technically do it earlier with his pre-piano in the late 1940s. Uh, he made his first concept for an electric piano in about 1947, but none of his designs really came out until the early 60s with the advent of the Rhodes piano bass uh, when he collaborated with Fender. Now, 
the Wurlitzer pianos are quite interesting because they were used by a lot of different people, as were the Rhodeses, but because the Wurlitzer had about 13 years on the full-size 73-key Rhodes piano, there were a lot of early adopters prior to people using Rhodes, and even prior to the popular 60s and 70s Wurlitzer recordings that a lot of us think of in the likes of Steely Dan and others similar to them. Mainly, the people that were using these in the 1950s and early 60s were guys like Ray Charles, who used a Wurlitzer 120, which is the model immediately after the 112A on his most famous song, What I Say, and Sun Ra used it fairly heavily as well on many recordings in the 1960s. Now, for everyone who thinks of the models of Wurlitzer piano, the electric piano, a lot of people will think of the 200 or the 200A, which were the popular ones that started with the 200 in about 1968, around about the time the Sparkle Top Rhodes came out, that it was famed by Billy Preston for using it on Let It Be. Now, the fascinating thing about the Wurlitzer compared to the Rhodes is there are a lot of differentiations. If you look at the Rhodes pianos from the time that they started making the Sparkle Top all the way to even the Mark V, save for the designs of the Mark IV, which if you can find them, the designs that is, not the actual pianos, the pianos were never made, they're quite different. But the Mark I... Mark II, Mark III, and even to some degree the Mark V were very much the same in a lot of respects, and even the earliest piano basses that predate the full-size Mark I Rhodes piano still have a relatively speaking similar action to a full-size Rhodes piano of 1967, 68, 69. The Wurlitzer, on the other hand, has quite a lot of variation. A 110, which is the first model ever produced by Wurlitzer, and only 50 were made, is a lot different from the last model, the, Ro the Wurlitzer 200A, which was still being made up until the early 1980s. Now, interesting thing that differentiates a Wurlitzer from a Rhodes, aside from the fact that it has an internal amplifier, is that the method of sound production is pretty different, though similar at the same time. Let me explain. Neither instrument, though being called a piano, uses strings like a typical acoustic piano. Both have smaller forms of sound production that produce the same tones as you would get on an acoustic piano. Now, for the Rhodes, they used tunable tines on what they called tone bars, which were masses of metal, and the tines were what you used to fine-tune the sound, and they had springs on the ends of the tines that you could adjust to tune each note precisely. The Wurlitzer, on the other hand, uses a system called a reed, which actually looks kind of like a reed you would find in a harmonica or a melodica or a reed organ 
that you may find from the 1960s that had a little built-in air pump. These reeds are fascinating because, unlike a Rhodes, you can't tune them that simply. More like a harmonica or a melodica, you actually have to file away at them to sharpen the pitch. And if you want to file, or, excuse me, lower the pitch and make it flatter than the note is currently, you have to add a ball of solder to the end and shape it properly. Now, the pickup system is also quite different in a Wurlitzer compared to a Rhodes. The Wurlitzer uses an electrostatic pickup that is built into what they call the reed bar, which is what picks up all of the sound coming off of each reed. This is a fascinating thing compared to a Rhodes because it actually requires the instrument to be active versus a Rhodes. You could do either or. You could have a Rhodes active with a preamp in it with effects, or you could have it passive with a quarter-inch output and send it to an amplifier, such as a Fender Bassman in my case. That's my personal preference. Perhaps a Fender Twin or Deluxe or even, you know, Orange, Marshall, anything of the like. Now, later versions of the Wurlitzer did allow you to do this a little bit better, and even things like the Wurlitzer 112 and 120 had the provisions to do this, though it wasn't as clean as something like a 200 or 200A. And middle-of-the-road models from the early to mid-60s, like the 140 and the 145, didn't actually have this provision at all. The interesting thing about the reed bar is that it is powered which is why it requires an amplifier. Rhodes pianos use a electromagnetic pickup similar to a guitar pickup. It is a coil of wire wrapped around a magnet, and the movement of the metal tine excites the electromagnetic field around the pickup, which causes a current to flow down the cable. What that means for Wurlitzer is that it requires its own power and its own amplifier. And this is quite unique as well because it allows for a variety of sounds that one would not find in a Rhodes. Even so, if looking at them, a lot of things, especially in the later models of Rhodes, are quite similar with Wurlitzers of later years as well. A 200 does sound like a Wurlitzer 200, and a Rhodes Mark II does sound like a Rhodes Mark II, but if you blend them together, it's actually kind of hard to tell the difference. Even my Rhodes Mark I and Wurlitzer 112A, when blended, sound pretty similar, and even I, who have had a Rhodes for now most of my life, and have listened to Wurlitzers on various recordings for much of my life as well, it's hard for me to even hear the difference, though it is still relatively apparent. So, with that said, I have three specific tests for everybody that I wanted to share with all of you. The first is going to be a four-bar change where each four bars, the instrument 
changes from Rhodes to Wurlitzer. I am then going to put it with a rhythm section, and then I'm going to blend the two together, where one is panned to the left and the other is panned to the right. Now, for all of you, I want to do this blind, and I will reveal which instrument is which in the next episode, though admittedly I have a feeling every one of you will get it correct and know which one's the Wurlitzer and which one is the Rhodes. As for the song, this is an excerpt that I just recorded from my song Coyote, which is a tune I wrote for my band Danger 8 about five years ago and have been looking to revamp to re-release as a brand new single and perhaps on our forthcoming record, which should come out late this year or early next year, if everything goes to plan. So, as I said before, we're first going to listen to this just soloed and every four bars in the tune it's going to change from one keyboard to the other Rhodes to Wurlitzer Wurlitzer to Rhodes enjoy guess which one was which? If your ear is anything like mine, I'm sure you could. It's pretty obvious the differences soloed like this when they hop between each other. Now, I want to do the same thing where we switch between each of the instruments and put it to a band. Backing this, I played some bass and drums, and I would like to hear your thoughts on if you can tell the difference better or worse soloed versus with a band and how these instruments respond to a band backing them up respectively. So here is the same recording of both keyboards, Rhodes and Wurlitzer backed by a rhythm section. Enjoy. Thank you. 
For the last two of these, we have been switching between the two instruments, and to my ear, it's pretty obvious which one is Rhodes and which one is Wurlitzer, and I think if your ears are anything like mine, you can hear the difference too. However, I have one more thing to show you. This is the excerpt with the rhythm section, fully done, with one instrument panned to the left and one instrument panned to the right. Now, I can still hear the difference, but if I'm not paying attention, it starts to sound like a double track of the same instrument. Now, the result is quite pleasant, and I think once I get all the repairs done that I need to get done to the Wurlitzer, this is going to end up being a key trick for me in studio going forward. The blend of the Wurlitzer 112 with a Rhodes Mark I sounds phenomenal to my ear. And panning them to get a stereo image makes it all the more elegant and beautiful, to me at least. So, I want to hear your thoughts on having one of these vintage electromechanical keyboards to the left and the other one to the right doing the same part double-tracked. Now, again, I am not going to share which one is which. I'm sure you can pick it out. I would encourage you all to wear headphones, though, for this part specifically, so you may have a better chance of picking each instrument out, which one is left and which one is right. Nevertheless, I want to hear your thoughts on how you think these two beautiful vintage keyboards blend together and not just hearing them separate. So, without further ado, here is the two keyboards stereo panned, blended together, playing at the same time, double tracked. Enjoy! I certainly did. Moreover, could you tell which instrument was which? What was panned to the left and what was panned to the right? To my ear, this was the hardest test of the three. I think it's pretty obvious in the other two which keyboard is which. But 
this one I think also was the one I most rocked out to. And I think going forward, if we do this song on the record or at least re-release it as a new single, I think I'm going to do this probably adding a Hammond in the background doing some lower, more almost synth pad-like comping behind the two pianos. I'm curious, did you like that sound? Do you prefer the Rhodes to the Wurlitzer or the Wurlitzer to the Rhodes? Are you more of a Hammond or a Clavinet fan? Or maybe you like none of them and you prefer the sound of a Steinway Grand or a beautiful Aeolian Skinner pipe organ. Let me know. For now, though, I'm going to say that's the show, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all you. Special major big thank you to Mr. Dante Rinaldi for coming on the show and helping me prove that whether you're in vis effects, videography, photography, or you are a music producer like me, and I'm sure many of you guys listening, we all really do the same thing even though we technically cater to different senses. All of you listening, tune in next time. We're going to have Mr. Wally Ingram on the show. We're going to talk about everything drums, from drum production to his wild, insane, wacky, and wonderful setup, which includes everything from drum set pieces to hand percussion and even weird stuff that he found at a used goods store, like pie pans and things of that nature. As always, there will be more gear to geek out on and more music to share with all of you, but for now, this is Daniel the D3 Cohen signing off from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios right here in San Francisco, California. We're ready to record. <laughs>